time for the Susan Taylor Podcast, where we discuss the yoga of mind, medicine, and healing. Author of Feeling Good Matters, Sexual Radiance, and the Vital Energy Program, Dr. Taylor imparts authentic knowledge and practical tools that inspire, educate, and empower us to be a healing force for positive change. So join us and take your life and our planet to the next level. Hello and welcome to episode 82, Is Your Brain Wired for Optimal Health? In today's episode, I'd like to discuss our fat brain and the importance of neurotransmission as well as the role of micronutrients in protection of our brain. The human brain is nearly 60% fat, excluding our adipose tissue. The tissue of our nervous system actually has the greatest concentration of lipids, that's fats, in the human body. And scientific research has found that fatty acids are among the most crucial molecules that determine our brain's integrity and ability to perform. You know, you may have heard that essential fatty acids, well, essential fatty acids are required for the maintenance of optimal health. And they can't be synthesized in the body, which means that they must be obtained from dietary sources. That's why people always say the essential fatty acids, the omegas, are necessary for us to be healthy. Clinical research has shown that an imbalance in the dietary intake of these fatty acids is associated with impaired brain performance, as well as certain diseases. With most of our brain growth being completed in the early years of life, at a birth weight, our birth weight is about 70% of the adult weight, and 50% or 15% of our brain growth occurs during infancy, and the remaining brain growth is completed during our preschool years. That's about ages five and six years of age. So it's important that essential fatty acids, particularly the omega-3 fatty acids, as I just mentioned, are incorporated into one's diet. We need to have it in our food source. And this is probably not new to many of you. DHEA is the predominant structural fatty acid in the central nervous system and even in the retina. And so its availability is actually crucial for brain development. You know, it's recommended that pregnant and nursing women should take about, uh, it's about 2.6 grams of omega-3 fatty acids and 100 to 300 milligrams of DHA daily to look after the needs of, you know, the fetus or if they're breastfeeding an infant. And that's called decohexanoic acid, DHA. Dietary Decosahexanoic acid, DHA, is needed for the optimal function and maturation, as I mentioned, of the retina and the visual cortex. And for also mental development, uh, we really need extra DHA. Beyond the important role of essential fatty acids building the brain structure, they also serve as messengers and They're involved in the synthesis and function of brain neurotransmitters, which I'll get to in a minute, and in the molecules of the immune system. So our neuronal membranes contain phospholipid pools, which are fats, that are reservoirs for the synthesis of specific lipid messengers on our neurons. And these messengers in turn participate in signaling cascades that can either promote neuronal injury or even neuroprotection. 
So we want to keep that in mind that fat is the most, I would say, the most essential nutrient for our brain and to keep it, uh, keep the insulation there because of our uh, neurotransmission. That's the electric currency that occurs in the brain. Then I'll move on to neurotransmission. There's a couple of tips here. So the first, we're talking about building blocks of lipids. Then moving on to neurotransmission, we need to have really good neurotransmission to have a healthy brain because our brain contains over 100 billion neurons and each neuron forms synapses. That's those connections uh, with about 1,000 to 10,000, or shall I say 100,000 other neurons, and they form intricate neural networks. And these neuronal networks influence our personality, information processing, cognitive processing, our focusing ability, memories, and it goes on and on. And some research indicates that our loss of mental agility may be due to the communication issues rather than the actual neurons dying. Neurotransmission depends on the substances called what we call neurotransmitters. And a neurotransmitter, as you may recall from previous episodes, is a chemical released from a nerve cell that actually transmits an impulse to another nerve cell or what we call an effector cell, such as a muscle cell. And neurotransmitters are either excitatory or inhibitory. And these effects will change how we feel in our brain, whether we're stimulated to focus or we want to go to sleep or be relaxed and calm. And it really depends on the type of effect uh, of the receptor that it's actually going to. And that's, that's a little bit uh, deeper than I want to get in this episode. Keep in mind that neurons do depend on glial cells, and one particular glial cell are called astrocytes, and I've mentioned this before in a previous episode. Let me just review some, or maybe it'll be new for the first time. Astrocytes are the most plentiful glial cells in the central nervous system, and they serve many functions, and there's many forms of astrocytes, or shall I say, there are many forms of glial cells, and astrocytes are one of them, and they clear neurotransmitters, uh, the astrocytes I'm talking about here, from the synapse. They regulate local blood flow in response to neuronal activity, and they actually provide energy substrates to neurons. So it's been shown or recorded that glial cells are not a minor cellular function, but they are depending, uh, depending on what the species that we're talking about, the mammals that we're talking about, they constitute between 33 and 60% of our total brain mass. I remember once reading a quote that uh, Albert Einstein's brain was a little smaller, but he had more glial cells. So that was associated with the intelligence. I don't know if that fact is true or not. I just remember reading that many, many years ago. So neurotransmission is very, very important for the health are for having a healthy brain. And there are vitamins that I've always talked about with clients as well as in classes. Uh, and I'll be talking about it in our new Food to Focus uh, webinar series that we're starting on Tuesday. And I'll be talking about the B vitamins and how important they are in creating the neurotransmitters that are needed for these types of uh, transmissions to take place. Another factor in keeping the brain healthy and happy is oxygen and glucose. 
You know, the brain has the most extensive network of blood vessels, and in humans, the brain receives up to 20% of cardio output, cardiac output. And that means that with each heartbeat, arteries carry about 20 to 25% of the blood supply to the brain. So if cerebral blood flow stops, brain function stops in seconds, and the damage to our neurons occurs, and it occurs in minutes. So these billions of brain cells that I've talked about previously, they utilize about 20% of the body's oxygen supply. Since there's no storage capacity for oxygen in the brain, that's why the brain can damage quite easily if it's deprived of oxygen. Since, as I mentioned, most oxygen is utilized by the brain and is also used for the oxidative metabolism of glucose. A little bit of biochemistry there. That's when we break down glucose to make ATP and energy. Keep in mind that the brain is a highly metabolic organ which uses 20 to 30% of a person's energy in the form of glucose just, just at rest. And the brain does store a limited amount of glucose, I'm not talking about oxygen here, in the form of glycogen. And that's stored in those astrocytes that I spoke about, the glial cells that I mentioned earlier. So that's why they're responsible for energy metabolism. Remember, energy metabolism of neurons and the glial cells all occur together. Keep in mind that the brain is highly metabolically active, as I mentioned, and, and it's a tissue that depends on a constant supply of glucose to meet its energy needs. And as I mentioned, it accounts for approximately 25% of total body glucose utilization at rest, despite representing only 2% of our adult body weight. It's quite remarkable. And we know that our blood glucose levels have to be maintained at all times to avoid any kind of what we call low blood sugar or hypoglycemia. And we know that glucose is the brain's uh, preferred fuel. And we also know from everyone out there talking about the keto diet, during the initial stages of fasting, blood glucose levels are maintained through the breakdown of our liver glycogen and then through the process of gluconeogenesis, the production of glucose from non-carbohydrate precursors uh, such as amino acids takes place. And that comes from uh, a diet that's high in protein rather than carbohydrates. As I mentioned when I spoke about neurotransmission, the B vitamin, one, one of them I'd like to just say here, biotin is required for key enzymatic reactions to happen in the gluconeogenic pathway. So in other words, we need B vitamins to break down glucose to use it as energy. You know, we do know that glucose is the preferred fuel, but ketone bodies also can be used by the brain when glucose supply is inadequate, and that's the whole basis for this ketone or the ketogenic diet, and that happens during fasting or starvation. However, keep in mind ketone bodies are acidic, and very high levels of these compounds in the blood can be toxic and may result in what we call ketoacidosis, and that's why I always say glucose is the preferred and normal energy substrate for the brain. So I've just mentioned three uh, concepts on keeping a healthy brain, lipids, fats, neurotransmission must be up and running, and oxygen and glucose. Now I'm gonna move on to micronutrients. The brain is metabolically an active organ, and we know that, and it does generate what we call reactive oxygen species, free radicals. Micronutrients in the form, what are micronutrients? Are vitamins and minerals. They help protect the brain by scavenging these free radicals that occur during normal metabolic functioning. But in addition, to help protect our brain, 
from this free radical damage, micronutrients can be helpful. And we know that the brain requires a constant supply of these micronutrients for energy metabolism, for these neuronal cells, these glial cells that we spoke about, also neurotransmitter synthesis and action, nerve impulse propagation, as well as homocysteine metabolism. So we, they found, you know, in research, deficiencies in various micronutrients such as B vitamins uh, can actually have an adverse effect on cognition. Can you tell I'm getting really charged up for the new webinar series that's coming on Food to Focus? So a lot of this material is what was stimulated during my research for that class that I'll be doing. So bear with me here. I'd just like to talk a little bit more about the brain for those of you that are not taking the course. Keep in mind that the developing brain may be particularly vulnerable to deficiencies in choline and as I mentioned first, essential fatty acids uh, due to the grain growth, uh, growth that takes place. You know, due to some conflicting studies, more research is needed to determine whether, you know, micronutrient supplementation affects our attention-related cognitive function. And presently, there's little evidence that supplementation with B vitamins, any of our antioxidant vitamins like vitamin E or choline or omega fatty acids will improve memory performance. And again, I have to say it professionally, more research is needed to determine uh, what we need also for executive functioning and uh, higher cognitive processes. But not all studies have reported that uh, micronutrient supplementation improves overall mood or doesn't improve overall mood. So it's really up to you to do your own research, as I always say. I know that for myself, when I do B vitamins and I do omegas when, I'm, when I need them, I find that I feel a little bit more alert and uh, less uh, cognitively impaired. Another point to keep a brain healthy is having a healthy and effective blood-brain barrier. You know, one of those assumptions that's long been held belief is that the brain is isolated from the rest of the body by the blood-brain barrier and things can't cross it. Uh, therefore, they always thought that the brain was insulated and protected. But this model is starting to change among neuroscientists, which I am not, but I'm just re reporting here because it's learning, we're learning some things now that that blood-brain barrier might be a signaling medium. It's now viewed as a selective barrier, not a definitive, you know, barrier that doesn't let anything in, because that absolute barrier mentality and theory is no longer considered current. So keep in mind that it is changing, and what it is, uh, it's the blood-brain barrier, it's a dynamic and complex interface between the blood and the central nervous system, which regulates our brain homeostasis. And I mentioned this in the uh, episode where I spoke about using cell phones. They had talked about damaging this blood-brain barrier because you need a healthy blood-brain barrier to have a healthy brain. Because major functions of the blood-brain barrier include the transport of nutrients and the protection of the brain from toxic compounds. You know, we have carrier-mediated transport uh, mechanisms that selectively deliver small molecules like sugars, amino acids, vitamins, and trace elements. Large biomolecules, the lipoproteins, our peptides and protein hormones, also cross the blood-brain barrier, but not by simple diffusion, but more by receptor-mediated, what we call receptor-mediated transports. And what we want to think about is 
all of these mechanisms that are taking place require that the blood-brain barrier keep its integrity because we don't want any dysfunction in the transport of nutrients at the blood-brain barrier because that's been associated with several neurological diseases and disorders. There are neuroprotective uh, nutrients that have been found, especially the plant polyphenols and the alkaloids, and they've helped in these studies. They show actually providing potential protective effect of this brain-blood-brain barrier. And as I said, I don't consider myself an expert in the area, but we do now understand that it begins to become dysregulated in brains that are affected by neurodegenerative uh, processes, such as, which is very common, right, chronic inflammation. Uh, chronic inflammation causes changes in the blood-brain barrier. I think the whole idea of the blood-brain barrier concept in everything in neurology is shifting, and I don't think anybody could actually say that it's something that's under complete understanding as of yet. And the last concept I'd like to speak about is brain plasticity. You need to have plasticity, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor, which I spoke about in, I think, two episodes ago, where you need to have that healthy if you're going to have a healthy brain, because our brain changes, and that's called plasticity. And one of the elements for responsible for that is the BDNF. And among all the neurotrophins, brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF, stands out for its high level of expression in the brain and its potent effects on synapses. It's now widely accepted that the main function of BDNF in the adult brain is to regulate the synapses. That's where your transmission takes place with structural and functional effects. So we have many brain regions that get affected by this. BDNF also helps produce new brain cells and strengthen existing ones. So it's very important to have that functioning properly. It also eases depression, boosts weight loss, and protects against neurodegenerative diseases. So as we get older, our, it is proposed that our BDNF naturally starts to fall. And I mentioned this before with a few well-placed habits I think I mentioned that in two episodes ago, you can release more BDNF. And if you release more BDNF, your brain is resilient and it'll grow stronger. And remember those ways to help with BDNF, exercise, meditation, good food, deep sleep, and sunlight. As always, I say, do your research, see what works for you. I gave you a few items to really think about on a healthy brain, from lipids to oxygen and glucose to transmission. Uh, we talked about micronutrients, and I spoke about the effective blood-brain barrier as well as brain plasticity through BDNF. And keep in mind that if you like this podcast, please share it on my YouTube channel. And you can do that by going to YouTube, Susan Taylor PhD, and subscribe and share it there if you'd like. It'll help really support the community. And that brings us to the end of this episode. The Susan Taylor Podcast does come out every week, and it's available on susantaylor.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and as I mentioned, YouTube, and other podcast formats. Again, it's the last call for Food to Focus webinar series. It's starting Tuesday, June 4th. It's going to be recorded, so if you can't make the live events, you can certainly view the recorded events. And sign up now on 
drsusantaylor.com if you're interested. And visit susantaylor.org for more information and to give us some feedback to see if you like this podcast or if there's any topics that you'd like to hear in the future. And thank you again for listening. And until next time, remain calm, consciously aware, living in the moment.